Welcome to our second talk back on our Acts series. We're looking at Acts Ooh. chapter two with the Will Carlisle here once again. Testing, testing. <laughs> I mean, not only is he testing the mic, but he's running the mic. So mm. I hope that this uh, broadcast gets recorded. It is recording. Okay, Can good. Confirm. Yeah, good. Uh, you know, well, this has been fun to do these two weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, the day after the actual sermon and worship time all happens to kind of get a little bit of distance and just think through one more time, like what is happening as we study this book. So we're not going to, like I said, I think I said it last week, we're not going to study every chapter in the book of Acts, mm-hmm. not because they're not valuable, just because we're going to cover a few more things. Got places the to get people to see. Baby. <laughs> come on, man. Come on. But the first two chapters definitely have to be looked at, in my opinion, in this book. And the second chapter is really the birth of the church. Yeah. And so that's what we looked at last night. The The church of Jesus Christ is born in chapter two, and you and I are a product of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll read just a couple of verses of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them, rested on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then it goes on and it says, There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And a whole multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, and they said, Are these not all Galileans speaking? Then at the very end of this opening section, it says, Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all Mm. were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking them and said, They are filled with new wine. Hmm. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah. So this is the the opening deal with Acts chapter two is the birth of the church. The the church is only born once the Holy Spirit comes. Mm-hmm. Right after this, Peter's going to give his incredible sermon. Um, certainly, mm-hmm. Jesus is the heart of the whole sermon. Um, they're going to be cut to the core. They're going to ask what they can do. Uh, Acts 2.38, a famous verse, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. About 3,000 people get saved. And then verses 42 through 47, we have another really famous passage about what the early church's interaction looked like, this Mm. very communal, worshipful, all-in-one accord type event that happened in large gatherings and in small gatherings. So let's let's talk through a little bit of the chapter, and then I really want to get to the heart of where we went last night. But thoughts on this opening section here? Yeah, last night the what kind of jumped out to me in a different way was how Luke writing this he he lists off all these different people groups who yeah. are there. Yeah, he does. And um, I'm on, and this is actually just a great little resource plug, stepbible.org, which Thomas, you put me onto it. Yeah. And they have an app, but it's kind of just like a, a Bible, but like basically every word is, is hyperlinked. And if you like click on it, it just gives you a little pop-up with like the original Greek or Hebrew and the meaning, but just, um, hovering over these, the names of these places, you have Asia minor, you have Africa, 
you know, all just all throughout, which, you know, especially at that time, you know, now travel is so like worldwide, but at that time, that was like the whole world to them, you know, like that was like uh, America, Australia, like that, that was as wide reaching as you could really imagine. if, If the gospel takes root at this event, Pentecost, yeah, it, and all of these people, I mean, folks from uh, from everywhere from Cappadocia to Libya received the gospel. It will go all over the world. Yeah. And, you know, you have to imagine, too, you know, Jesus tells him that tells the disciples that they will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And, you know, I, I, obviously, like, I think they took that seriously. But you there had to be this, like, validating moment when this happened where it was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, like we're speaking in tongues to like the ends of the earth right now. Sure. And so that, that was a, a, a big uh, kind of first thought to me. And then another line that jumped out to me was, you know, there's these people who they, they're mocking and they say they're filled with new wine. And I think that, that really convicted me of how the way that the spirit works in our lives is oftentimes, you know, not as clean and polished and like reserved as we might, you know, want to make it out to be. And it reminded me of uh, John Piper has a book. Have you ever read Brothers We Are Not Professionals? Yeah, I have. Yeah, so it's amazing. It's it's geared towards pastors, but they have a free P- PDF on Desiring God, and I would really recommend reading the first chapter. Um, which is kind of just like the thesis of the whole book. And I think it just really applies to Christians in general. Mm-hmm. But John Piper is really attacking this urge that especially pastors and people who work in ministry feel to make the gospel really professional, you know, make it, you know, suit and tie and, and um, you know, kind of sexy and whatever. And in that chapter, he just goes through like, there's nothing professional about a man weeping in ashes over his own sin. There's nothing professional about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You know, you wouldn't put that on a billboard. And um, that was just such a a great reminder to me, like a framework as we begin to talk about, uh, you know, church and how we relate to the church. It's good to remember this is not, you know, this clean, professional, um, you know, sans serif thing that we're called into, but it's actually kind of chaotic and an awesome in sometimes not awesome way. Yeah, this what we're going to see throughout this chapter, and we said it several times last night, is that uh, the the church is is beautiful, and the church is bruised, and the church is messy, and it's all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it starts off like it's beautiful. They are able to instantaneously, by the power of the Holy Spirit, speak in languages they didn't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that is amazing. And, mm-hmm. and it's, that's a different speaking in tongues than is listed like in first Corinthians 13, mm-hmm. where Paul says, though I speak in the tongues of men, that's this kind of tongue or of angels. That's mm-hmm. like a heavenly language. Yeah. Um, you know, whether I, whichever one of those, if I don't do it with love, then I become mm-hmm. a noisy gong and a clanging symbol. So they are speaking the tongues of men that they didn't know in love through the power of the Holy spirit, proclaiming the mighty works of God. Mm-hmm. And, you get two reactions. You get uh, you get skeptics, and you get the people that are like, 
I'm interested. Yeah. But the interesting thing is it describes the whole crowd mm-hmm. as devout. Mm. And to me, that cut me. When I was looking at that, I'm like, okay, this whole Jeez. crowd is devout. How come some folks are open to the movement of the Lord and some folks are just instantly going to be skeptical? Man. And maybe they had wounds. Maybe they yeah. were hurt. Maybe they had seen corruption in the church. Yeah. They thought this was man-made. Yeah. But I think I think we need to be sympathetic yeah. towards folks that have skepticism. Yeah. And it's easy to brush people off as, as people who like work hard for the church in the church. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get frustrated with skeptics. But I think patience is what's called for here. And just know that people come to the table with different experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you made a, a note to this, just to the tongues thing. Obviously, that's not where we're really diving in. But, you know, you, you made a reference to, You've been on trips where people who have like, you know, basically little to no background in a language, like fluently share the gospel in a language they don't know. And I've actually also been on a trip. I went to the DR in college and we were, you know, in these like backwoods villages. Yeah. There was a girl who did not know Spanish, got separated like from her translator and just she was with another girl and she straight up walked through the gospel with in fluent Spanish and, and like she like received the gift of tongues. So like that's, you know, this is real. Like this is not story time that we can pull helpful nuggets out of. Like, it's like, this is the blueprint of the church. Yeah. It's it the same thing. It was a high school kid. Heather and I were, were leaders on a trip. There was a high school kid who about five minutes or so, if I remember the story right into a conversation was all of a sudden aware Oh, I'm speaking Spanish to this person. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It was, it was, they were sharing the gospel. Yeah. And we've all taken high school Spanish. Like, you I, did, I didn't learn enough to have a five minute conversation yeah, with anyone. Yeah. yeah. It's like you learn like hamburger and like, <laughs> you know, yeah, desk and pencil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you learn to ask where simple things are and what time yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I do think, real quick, it's important to say, to, to just clarify one thing that's, that's commonly misunderstood. And that is the opening line of the chapter is the day of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. And I think because there's a a mainline denomination with that in its name, um, Pentecost, I think that it's, it's pretty easy to assume, Oh, the day of Pentecost is this specific day when the Holy spirit arrived. Yeah. It's isolated from all other days. It's the only one in its history. Yeah. 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 And, Actually, this is a Greek name mm. for a Jewish holiday that had been around since the time of Moses. Mm. And Pentecost was originally celebrated 50 days after uh, Israel gets out of, the Hebrews get out of Egypt when God gives Moses his word. Mm-hmm. So God visits Moses, gives him the Ten Commandments. The Jewish people would say that was the first Pentecost. Yeah. But in Hebrew, it's called Shavuot. It's the Feast of Weeks. Yeah. And Penta means 50, Kos means days. So it's 50 days after the 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 three first feasts, which are um, uh, unleavened bread, uh, Passover, and first fruits. First yeah. fruits, the, the, those, those three happen all together. And 50 days later, you have Pentecost. So the reason all these nations are together, this is important. The reason all these nations are together 
is because they're all Jewish background people yeah. that have come to Jerusalem for this holiday. Yeah, absolutely. And such a great reminder that the New Testament is not, you know, like a rewrite from the Old Testament. You know, it's not like a, a big reboot. But actually, everything that we see in the Old Testament is leading up to Jesus. And yeah, basically, all of Jesus' ministry is, you know, going through and saying, that was about me. That was, you know, in the road to Emmaus, after Jesus is resurrected, he's with the two disciples, yeah. and he's just saying, like, he opens their eyes to how all the scriptures are about him. And this is kind of like a final nail in that almost. That's right. And it's, yeah. it's incredible when you really look at the whole story in chapter two, it's this intersection of the whole Bible. I mean, in Babel, God divides the people and makes them speak different languages mm. at Pentecost. God brings the people back together by having all their languages spoken to them. So they understand the gospel. So it's this unifier. It's this like undoing of Babel, uh, it's this uh, more perfect version of the first Pentecost when God met with Moses and gave him his word. God's going to meet with the apostles and give him his spirit. Um, it's just this, it's this really incredible intersection of the the Bible all coming together. Yeah. So I think that's, I think it's really incredible to see all of that. And to your point, well, the, the Peter's sermon in verses 14 through 36 he doesn't have a New Testament to pull from. Mm-hmm. He's not like so in John three sixteen. Yeah. No, he's quoting from Joel yeah. and from Psalm sixteen. Yeah. I mean, he's using the Old Testament to tell of Christ. Yeah. Well, and how about this image of tongues of fire? Um, that 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 is kind of like the the symbolism that of these tongues coming in, and it says resting on each of them, and that's kind of where this gift of them speaking in different languages starts it, it's this image of yeah. fire like entering their mouth basically and you know this is this is my speculation but i just immediately think of isaiah 6 yes. what does you know what does the angel approach isaiah with he, he places a burning coal on his mouth that's right as isaiah says i'm a man of unclean lips and that is his mouth being purified to speak to the people of israel so yes. yeah, crazy. And yeah, the burning bush when God shows up to yeah. Moses in yeah. a fire. Um, and what did the Lord use to guard Eden? Mm-hmm. He put flaming swords in front of it mm-hmm. to separate his presence hmm. from people because people weren't in a state where they could be around his presence. Now the Lord draws them back yeah. to his presence with these tongues of fire. Yeah. So he's really, it's this, it really is chapter two really is the intersection I think of the Bible. It's very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we have this, this incredible sermon. I, I just wish we could go into it. Um, but it's this in the sermon, the, the last little verse there in verse 36, uh, I'll just read it to you. It's such a great, a great reminder of how important it is to end the, the any message about Jesus with a clear presentation of the good news. Mm-hmm. And he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Mm. I mean, he says in that one little verse, your sins mm-hmm. killed him. Yeah. And that's, that's transferable. My sins did. Peter's sins did. And God made him Lord and Christ. And Christ is a, is a great word. It, it means Messiah. So Lord and Savior, like 
He, he, Jesus is Lord and Savior, and we crucified him. And then their response is, what do we do about this? Mm. And they're cut to the core. What do we do? What do we do that we crucify the Lord and Savior? Yeah. And Peter invites them to repent. Yeah. To give their lives to him. They do. 3,000 folks yeah. get saved. And it's it's this beautiful, again, it's an undoing of some stuff that happened in the Old Testament. And this kind of leads us to the big idea of last night, just the church itself, the the beautiful, the bruised, and the messy church. But do you remember when Moses was up getting the word of God, the first mm. Pentecost, yeah. what the people were doing? Worshiping a golden calf. This beautiful thing is happening. Mm-hmm. And this really bruised, ugly thing is happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Do you remember from the story? It's like a detail we don't talk about very often. But do you remember from back in Exodus how many people get killed because they worship the calf? Three grand. Come on. Yeah. 3,000. 3,000 die there, and yeah. the Lord saves 3,000 here. Yeah. It's not by mistake that the Lord saves 3,000 here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's like, it's a little. It's a little bit more hidden, but just the fact that you got mockers in the crowd that are mm-hmm. saying these guys are drunk at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. You got this beautiful thing happening and this ugly thing happening at the same time. Yeah. Like, I think that's that's really important to remember that church is always going to have this mixed bag every time we gather. Yeah. Do you, I don't know, what what kind of, percentage of folks do you think come to the church that are bruised versus like man this was a beautiful experience maybe Um, the third category of like i mean it was good but like it's so messy yeah yeah (laughs) oh my gosh i don't i thought that's a constantly sliding number but yeah i mean who has not who's been around the church a lot at some point walked in in this like self-guarded um yeah, self-guarded sort of skeptical posture, um, whether it's just because of, you know, like in my case, I'm just a skeptical person or because there's been extreme like betrayal of trust. Um, yeah. 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 I, I had a guy come up to me last night, a, a, a friend, Heather and I've known him for a long time. He, uh, he said, he said, Thomas, it's so good to see you. And I said, man, it's been a while. And he said, uh, I haven't gone to church in two years. Mm-hmm. And then he went on and he said, and I didn't want to come tonight, but I really felt God calling me to come to church. Mm. And then you preached on the church yeah, yeah, and how it's beautiful and bruised and messy all at the same time. He said, yeah. I, I couldn't have come at a better night to hear something because I've really been just focusing on how bruised the church is. Yeah. And how I don't even want to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, but I think in that moment, even with his bruise, he saw some beautiful things. Yeah, absolutely. The movement of the Holy Spirit, the opening of the word, corporate worship, people with godly fellowship, folks praying over each other. I think he's like, okay, maybe this is just what the church is. Yeah. We're, we're kind of a limping bride. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think... Um, I'll, I'll, so of those three categories, the bruised parts of the church, um, some of that we bring on ourselves with like weird stuff, like Christian subcultures. <laughs> like, yeah, we were just doing about like, 
that we focused on last night, the like beautiful nature of the church and then the broken and bruised nature of the church. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's easy. Like we, we were just laughing about, there's a whole third category of like just the weird nature the weird. of the church. Yeah. The weird. Yeah. yeah. We didn't even talk about that one. That's weird. Yes. Yeah. I'd put that I'd categorize that in like a fourth category of like, you know, it's like going to the family reunion and everybody thinks they're the normal one. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly. Like church just attracts strange mm-hmm. and I would fit into that category. I'm a little strange, mm-hmm. but like it is comical when you look around and you think, what do all these people have in common? Yeah. And that's also wonderful. Absolutely. Cause hopefully it's Jesus. Yeah. Amen. That's the one thing we all have in common. Otherwise we would not hang out together. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I love that. So I, I think as far as the messiness of the church, can you imagine, I, I heard an old 2003 John Piper sermon where he was talking about this. He was kind of giving like a vision for the church mm-hmm. and he was, he was talking some about this, but he, uh, in 2003, he said, um, you know, people say that church is messy and it's growing too fast and, uh, and we don't have enough systems. And, uh, you know, he just went through this whole list and I thought, man, our, our little church has had like some mm-hmm. of that experience where, yeah. Um, you know, we're not 3000 or 10,000 or, or what the day of Pentecost was, mm-hmm. uh, in Acts two, but like there has been some like, well, it's growing too fast. Um, uh, we need better discipleship. We need more of this. We need more of that. Can you imagine no cell phones, no group meets, which might be like a good thing. Um, <laughs> no, no emails. Can you imagine how confused people might've been when they were like, I thought we were getting together at Peter's house tonight. And just like no <laughs> theological nothing was like standardized. Like it was all new, yeah. you know? And so like, they didn't even have like, there were no manuals cultures. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think maybe like, maybe like come with solutions and not like complaints. If you're like, Oh, this is happening. That's happening. I don't like this. Yeah. I don't like that. But also like, just know that part of church is kind of running with your hair on fire. Yeah. And it's like constant problem solving. Yeah. Part of church yeah. is just messy. And Absolutely. it always has been. Absolutely. I mean, maybe even messier in the first part of Acts than it has been in a while. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, I think that, not to, like, spend too much time on that, but I do think there is an interesting word for us specifically because, you know, Christ's covenant has experienced, like, what we call hypergrowth. You know, with the church started five years ago, and we just added our thousandth member. Yeah. And... and there, you know, and so a ton of the problems that we run into are just like not having infrastructure up to speed, not having enough small group leaders, not having enough worship team members, not having enough deacons, you know, all, all those sort sure. of things. And everybody in their different little like circle sees different problems. And I, I think like it is helpful to view the book of Acts through like, this is, you, like, you want to talk about hypergrowth, like <laughs> this is hyper falling on 3000 people, like, you know, and yeah, you can like work through these things in a gracious and like wise way. Um, yeah. I think the only time the church stops being messy is when the gospel stops going out. Because mm. when the gospel stops going out, people's lives stop getting changed. Yeah. You don't have to deal with any of the problems, any of the issues. Mm-hmm. You can kind of create a Christian museum. Yep. You can curate it with great things that used to happen. Yeah. And you can have a nice, neat, organized system. Yep. Yeah, that, that is like so true. That is so true. And there's that 
a term that I like a lot that I've mentioned some and like our daily rhythm and stuff, but theological obesity, it just kind of becomes a bunch of people who are just sitting around yeah. chewing on interesting theological concepts and helpful little practical wisdom tidbits and then like going home, going back to work, whatever. And the mission of God is not alive there. And so it's nice yeah. and orderly, but it's not active. You know, a lot of these apostles didn't live to be very old. They were martyred for their faith. But had they have lived to be old, maybe they lost some mobility and they didn't have the energy they used to have. I wonder if they would just sit back and smile at the early church chaos. Yeah, yeah. Like, man, those were the good old days. Yeah. The gospel was going out. We were getting arrested all the time for the Lord. Like, mm -hmm. we were, well, it was, it was the Wild West. Yeah. Like, I think... I don't know. I kind of want to wash up on the shores of heaven, like worn out. Yeah. The words of Rich Mullins. I mean, that, he yeah. said that at a concert one time. Like, I, I kind of want to, I, I was like, man, I, I want like the Lord's angels to look and say, what's that? What's that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I want the Lord to say, that one's mine. Mm -hmm. Like, let's, must be okay with the mess. Yeah. And yeah. maybe, maybe hopefully the mess means that like the gospel's going out and lives are getting changed. There's just a lot of, a lot of stuff to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the big question, this is kind of how we landed the plane last night. You got to ask the question, <clears throat> why is the church messy? Yeah. And why will it always be messy and beautiful and bruised until Jesus returns? Mm -hmm. And the answer is simple. The answer, the reason the church is bruised and it's beautiful and it's messy is because you are the church mm -hmm. and I am the church. Gosh, yeah. First Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you. First Peter two five. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If I'm a believer, I'm the church. Mm. <clears throat> I'll just say this as clear as I, uh, I hopefully can say it. The church can't be, I shouldn't expect the church to be any more beautiful, less bruised, less messy than I am. Yeah, that's such a great word. I, I was just thinking about this, but the church, you know, in my life right now, I can point to many things that are really encouraging and cool and great. I can point to many, many things that, you know, are all right, but in need of improvement and growth. And I, I can point to many things that are like not okay and yeah. that I need Same. to correct Same. like yeah. immediately, you know, and that I need to repent and, and grow in. And so like, yeah, why would we expect the church to not be that way when, you know, I, and I thought you just did such a great job of separating these Jesus is not the church. The church is Christ's bride. That's right. And it's made so clear in scripture, the church and Christ are unified in the new heavens and new earth. That's right. But until then, Jesus is attached to the church. He he, he loves the church. But, you know, these, these horrible things that we see, the hypocrisy, the sin, the abuse of power, and, and just general brokenness, mm -hmm. that is not Jesus. That That is a wayward bride. And, That's right. And, you know, I, I think just one thing that I constantly come back to when people get so disillusioned about with 
Christianity because of things that happen in the church is like when 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 a pastor abuses his platform to hurt somebody, to take advantage of somebody, when somebody leverages spiritual authority for selfish gain, that angers God so much more than it angers us. And, and yeah. God's sense of justice in that. And, you know, the difference is God's sense of justice plays the long game. We play the short game. And so, you, you know, <laughs> sure. like when we want lightning to fall from heaven, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes that person just stays in power. But we can rest in the fact of knowing that 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 is not God and that we see all throughout Scripture, like no one has more anger reserved for for wolves in sheep's clothes than than the Lord. That's right. And, you know, so that's kind of like big hypocrisy, like capital H hypocrisy. And I think we were talking about this afterwards last night when we were dropping off trailers. But there, there's like what I would call lowercase h hypocrisy, which is like what you and I live in, which is, you know, like I say, like, love your neighbor as yourself. And then I do selfish things. And, you know, I say, like, yeah. I want to be a really welcoming, hospitable person. But then I gravitate towards the people that I already know. And, and you know, there's there's love like hypocrisy like that that is super rampant in every church. And I think. You know, a lot of times people get really disillusioned over over that sort of hypocrisy. They do. And, and you know, which is fair and that that is sin. But I, I think it, you can also subvert that to point to it It actually really exalts the level of, of holiness and, and the high standard that is the holiness of Christ. That's right. You know, if you look at other organizations like i'll just use like if you if you'd look at two like politically radical organizations like antifa and like proud boys you know that are kind of mm-hmm. on opposite sides of the aisle there's not a lot of hypocrisy going on in those circles why not because it's it's such a low moral bar you That's know right. yeah. like the standard that they're held to is just like be super mad about stuff and like follow your guts and, and be impulsive and rebellious. And so like, of course you're not going to be hypocritical. Whereas like in the church, the standard is to love God with literally every fiber of your being and to pour yourself out for other people. You know, there's going to be hypocrisy. That's not saying we should be okay with hypocrisy, but it is saying like, you know, that's, we're people, we're sinful. And right. so we can see that in our own hearts. Of course, we're going to see that in the heart of the church. I think it's it's just, it, it is so important for us to remember that, as you just said, the, the church is not Christ, mm. but it does bear his name. Yeah. And so if you're, what's your dad's first name? Todd. Todd. If you're acting the fool when you're like 15, 16 years old, well, your dad and your dad's not. Yeah. Your dad still gets associated with it. Yeah. And they start wondering like, well, Todd must not be a good dad. Otherwise his kid wouldn't do it. Or, you know, you start asking those yeah, questions yeah. and Todd may be like brokenhearted and praying over you and being like the best dad he can be. Totally. But because your name and his name are attached, mm-hmm. he gets some of the, the blame of that. And even legally, at that age in particular, he can get some of the blame for it. Mm-hmm. And while the church is not Christ and Christ is not the church, it is the Christian church. Mm-hmm. Our yeah. names are attached. So when people see us, it's very natural for them to associate, well, that must be Christ. Mm-hmm. 
And so I used the the visual last night of so when we graffiti all over the church, mm-hmm. when we just like defame what God is doing in us, he does get frustrated. Why? Well, one, we're harming ourselves. And if, if we're believers, he's redeemed us and he's called us to something else that's much better. But two, we're hurting his name. Yeah. And so I just think we have to be super mindful that, hey, when I when I am in immorality with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or virtually, or if I'm not being uh, ethical at work, or uh, if I'm being um, a bad son or daughter or, you know, a sinful roommate or whatever it is, it's not just me that's being affected. It's the whole church yeah, and it's Christ's reputation. Amen. Amen. And I think we need to say, Hey, let me not add to the bruised part of the church. Yeah. You know, I, one of the, a sermon that I heard that really changed my life and how I, I think about this was it was Francis Chan and he was talking about the church and he, he referenced this story from second Chronicles seven. So this is the dedication and opening of the temple. Yeah. And it, it says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, which is the de- dedication prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not even enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Mm. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement. So he read that story and he said, imagine that you're there, you're watching this happen, just like have that mental image. And then imagine if you took a sledgehammer and just walked up to the temple and started Mm. just plowing on the side of it. Mm. Yeah. And, and really laying into it, you know, everyone, would be like, what are you doing? Like you are, this is the dwelling place of God. And he, he then, you know, kind of turned that to the, this scene in acts where the spirit falls on these people and, and the church is born, you know, this is the equivalent. And, and so yeah, when we, it is. when we take a sledgehammer to God's people over things that just drive us crazy or, you know, don't line up with how we think things should be done. It's like we're walking up to a temple that's filled with fire and glory and just and just mm-hmm. you know taking a sledgehammer to it. And, and that that was just such a great soul check for me of like, okay, I need to be more careful in how I talk about this. Um Yes. Yes, the the weight of glory rests on us. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a worthwhile life. Your your life is so well spent when you say, you know what, the glory of God is resting in me. All glory be to God. Mm. Lord, rid me of sin. Yeah. Help me to know you. Help me to realize how sweet it is to know you. And in doing so, you're building up the church of Christ. Amen. Your eyes will be open to have compassion for the skeptics. You'll know when to call out um, other folks that are taking sledgehammers to the church. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> to do it opposite, though, to like, just seek personal holiness for the sake of personal holiness to just call out people for their sins, to like get mad at the skeptics um, or help them in your own strength. None of that's going to work at first. The the church gets better when we get closer to the Lord. Yeah. Amen. Individually one at a time. Amen. And so my encouragement would be to, to do some big soul searching 
pray the prayer found in, in the Psalms of Lord, put a finger on anything in my life that doesn't please you. Show me what doesn't please you. And if it's too big for you to let go, start praying the prayer, Lord, I don't have the strength to let this thing go, mm. but I know you can take it from me. Amen. And it's amazing what happens when we start praying those prayers. And it's amazing how many roadblocks come down for other folks. It's amazing mm. how many people are like, oh, I see Christ in you. Let me know more about Christ. Amen. Yeah, and that's such a, a great framework because, you know, it's like we live in this really hard age right now for the church where it feels like every month there's a really prominent Christian leader oh, who, yeah. who blows it. And it's just been helpful for me to retrain myself how to respond. And instead of responding in just fury and hellfire and fear mm -hmm. and anxiety whenever anything like that happens, to just, you know, to mourn it, then just to simply pray like, Lord, let it not be so with me. That's right. And that's all I can control is how, where's my heart with the Lord? And, you know, instead of like hopping on Twitter and trying to solve the world's problems, like that simple <laughs> prayer is actually doing far more that's for right. the beauty of the bride than, than anything else. That's exactly right. So as the church is born, as beautiful things are happening, there's bruised people around, it's messy. Let's be in awe of the beauty mm -hmm. of God indwelling us with his glory and power yeah. so that we can know him, so that we're saved, so that we can have a purpose bigger than ourselves that's his purpose. Let's not add to the bruises. Amen. And that first starts with a genuine you know what? I need to confess some sin. Amen. Absolutely. And just let the Lord do a work. Mm -hmm. Let him do a healing work. Yeah. And that makes the church beautiful. Yeah. And last word, let's be okay with the mess. Yeah. Amen. Church is going to be a little messy because we're all a little messy. And pretty weird. <laughs> and pretty weird. <laughs> let's let's be okay. To, to borrow a line from a country song, um, there's, I've, uh, I'll just paraphrase it, but there's this country song where the guy talks about, we got all kinds of folks and describes all these different folks and, uh, and they all come to one place and it's the bar. <laughs> and he said, that's why I love this bar. And I yeah. think the church, when I first heard that song, I was like, that's how the church should be. Yeah. 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 So let's be okay with all the kinds of folks. Mm -hmm. Let's love each other in Christ, but let's start with just a gut check of what do I need to do? Lord, to get some graffiti off so that I can represent you better. Yeah. Amen. Man. Well, hey, for Will Carlisle, I'm Thomas Nelson. Thanks for listening to the Young Adult Talkback.